Hey everyone, this is Tom Singer. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to inform you about a special offer that I have to join a brand new group called My Sales Call. If you work for a small business or if you're a solopreneur, having some people to talk about ideas and best practices and to have a focus and accountability around sales is so important. It's so easy to get caught up in the busy work that we don't do what we need to do to drive the sales in our business. So I have started a weekly call where people can get together and share ideas around sales and then make a commitment to the group of what they're going to accomplish for the next week. It's just like if you work for a big company, your sales manager would have a weekly sales call. This is your sales call. Go to mysalescall.com to find out more and sign up today. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to my virtual cool kids table. Uh, I created this podcast many years ago so that I could have access to really smart people who are doing cool things because I know one thing is always true and that is success leaves clues. So when we get the chance to have these conversations with all of these guests that I bring here on the show, they can't help it. They leave a nugget, an idea, a theory behind and all of us can pick up the ones that are appropriate for us and run with them. Today I'm really excited because I'm interviewing a friend of mine. I'm interviewing James Robolata. And James, he's a professional speaker like I am. I actually met him through this professional speaker world. Uh, it was before he had joined the National Speakers Association. Uh, I met him at an event where I spoke. Uh, and he's just a super nice guy. And uh, now he's a member of the National Speakers Association. He has his certified speaking professional, the CSP designation, which only about a thousand speakers in the world have. Uh, it's not an easy thing to get. You have to have been speaking for between five and 10 years. You have have actually been making money during that time and you have to have not only peer reviews where other speakers watch your video and go hmm maybe maybe not and you have to have uh, uh, like 25 clients uh, review your performance both on stage and how you were to work with so it's not easy to get I'm proud that I am one of those other about a thousand people who have that designation and uh, James is just a really He's a really big-hearted guy. He's, to meet James, he's, he's one of those people you walk away and say, this is a guy who really cares. And what he actually speaks about is the role of authenticity and vulnerability and the role of those in leadership. He also hosts his own live events. If you like attending events, you've got to get a ticket to the next uh, Living Imperfectly Live, which is his uh, like couple times a year event that he does. So James... Welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Tom Singer, what an honor to be a part of it. Longtime listener, first time caller. Excited <laughs> to be here, brother. <laughs> so, James, you know, obviously, you know, you, you work, you've worked a lot in the college market. You've branched out and do corporate things now. But what did you do like right after college? Did you just say like, I'm not going to have a job. I'm going to be a professional speaker. Or did you have a career? Where, where did James start upon graduation? 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's funny in college, I majored in marine biology. Um, and so I have a bachelor of science in marine biology, but around my junior year, my teachers uh, were, I was putting too many jokes in my scientific papers and my professors were like, this may not be for you. <laughs> and I was like, I think you're right. So, so it wasn't that you just decided you hated dolphins all of a sudden? Yeah, no, still love, yeah, love dolphins, <laughs> here for it. Um, but uh, what I realized is that I, I loved people more. Um, and uh, yeah, so I got a master's in counseling and then I worked in higher education, developing teams on college campuses, whether those were students or professionals. So that's what I did straight out the gate. So when did you kind of go off on your own? When did you say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, for sure. So for me, uh, I used to present at a bunch of conferences as a professional, just brought my students there. Uh, there was an opportunity for me to submit call for pro proposals and, uh, and and would just attend them. And it was like, oh, I could share some ideas, uh, but I wasn't doing it because I wanted to be a speaker. I was doing it because I was an attention whore who had things that I could potentially share. <laughs> and, uh, and then somebody came up to me after one of those talks and asked me how much I charged. And I said, I don't know who the hell you're talking to right now, um, but maybe, uh, but maybe I got something. And so uh, that was around 20, uh, 2010 or something like that. I spoke for free for a couple of years and officially went on my own, left my job in 2013. Uh, and I said, let's, let's see if we can make this happen now before I have any major responsibilities in my life. And like I said, you spent the first part of your speaking career touring the country, speaking on college campuses, teaching leadership skills and, and other things to college students. And if I'm not mistaken, a couple times you were sort of voted like one of the like top college speakers on that circuit is that isn't that true I did, I did get a little love yes for sure uh which was uh, which, which was cool and yeah oftentimes it was nominated by my peers too and that's always a cool accolade to get when your peers like he's good <laughs> so you still do the college circuit but you're doing more stuff with the uh, the grown-up crowd and i you know i always wonder why do people pivot what what caused you to say hey i'm top of the game here but look there's all these corporations and 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 other events that i can be at i wonder if my message translates to another market yeah, for sure. I think for me, the way I look at my business is like uh, I'm trying to buy a cul-de-sac of houses and I kind of built a really nice house with the college speaking world and it's working. Everything's going really nicely. It's just like requires some light maintenance here and there. And so now that that business is cooking, it's like, let's start this next house um, and the corporate house and the retreat house is another one. Um, and so it was also just an opportunity to recognize that uh, leadership is pretty universal. And actually what kept me from doing corporate stuff earlier was imposter syndrome and this idea that like, well, James, you still say semesters and you're 30. <laughs> and, and you majored in marine biology. And I majored in, yeah, right? Like, I, I didn't say the phrase Q3 until, like, last year. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's, how are things going this semester at your law firm? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so... I always think that, you know, people who have developed, you know, a successful business track who have done things like this, I think they always do have advice that they can give other people, even in other industries. So if somebody is listening to this and, and they listen to cool things entrepreneurs do because they have that little ping inside them that maybe I have something, maybe I should go out with a machete and chop my own way through through the jungle. What advice would you give people about stepping out? Because there had to be a point where you said, bye bye, college administration career. Hello, James on his own. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think you hit the nail on the head, right? It truly is that idea of stepping out of, of, uh, of falling off the ledge and just being like, let's see if we can fly. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I think I think for me, it, it comes down to what story are you writing? 
And are you happy with the story that you're writing? Uh, and that's cheesy, but I don't care. I'd love cheese. And, uh, uh, but for me, it, that's what it comes to. I live my life based on what I want to be said in my eulogy. And uh, I didn't like the story that I was writing before. And I was like, I can write something cooler. I can write something more badass. And so let's go. Um, and so uh, so I think that was the biggest thing for me is, is looking back at that moment and being like, what else could I do? What else could I say? And, and what's the opportunity? Um, and so I think for, uh, yeah, that, that's the biggest thing that I would say is, is there is there a yearning inside of you? And if there is, and we have to listen to that, uh, we can't just get stuck in uh, in the malaise of, of, of our patterns. So what do you love about this life of, of entrepreneurship? You've created your own your own path now for seven years. What do, you, what do you like about it? The things that I like the most, first off, I was a great, I, I was a great supervisor. I was a terrible supervisee. <laughs> Um, and, uh, it just, uh, I just did not enjoy, uh, working with individuals that didn't share the same vision and the same passion that I had in the way that I had it. They had their own stuff and that's lovely for them. Um, but ultimately, uh, I love to be able to create my own schedule. I think, uh, it's weird with entrepreneurship. You feel like it, it sounds like less control, but I find it's almost more control, uh, because you actually, this is, these are my days to plan. These are my, uh, moments to, to gather and determine what I'm going to do with them. And I, I appreciate that control, the idea of being able to handle my schedule the way I need to, but also the way to impact lives the best way I feel I can, uh, not through, you know, some mission statement of a company or a college. So, you know, I learned something about you recently. We were at a conference together in San Diego back when there actually used to be conferences, although hopefully this won't air for another an, another month or two. I, I hope that we are able to reconvene with humans. Uh, but the last event that I was at, uh, what well, you were at as well, and uh, you came with me to an open mic night uh, where I was doing a little bit of stand-up comedy. And afterwards, I was explaining something to you because a lot of people want to come and they're like, oh, I want to see you do stand-up. What I didn't realize is that you did stand-up comedy for several years. So I was kind of comic-splaining, you know, sort of the reverse of mansplaining uh, to you, something you already knew about. I didn't know. I mean, I've always thought you're a funny guy. I've hung out with you before, but I didn't know that you did stand-up. So let's go back to that stage of your life because what I've discovered in my two years of, of dabbling uh, with doing some comedy, I've learned a lot. So let's talk about what was comedy like for you? Did you start in college? Uh, what were what was what was your comedy line? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I started in college, absolutely, with doing stand-up. I uh, started doing a little bit of improv comedy also in uh, in grad school. And then uh, I actually took a job. I, I job searched out of grad school only in cities that had great comedy scenes because I said, you know what, I want to work. I want to work in a city where I can also work on my craft. And so I you know, looked at New York, Chicago, Boston. L.A. was just a little too far from mom. And uh, and so, uh, so yeah, so that, that's, that's how I really got started and started doing open mics. And it was so funny because when I was in college and grad school, I did all of these mics and used to open up for shows. And if a comedian came to campus, I would open up for them. And that was always a really big honor. Um, and I did my very first open mic in New York City at O'Charlie's in Times Square. I had to pass the cards out. I was that I was that guy in Times Square passing cards out. Uh, and I absolutely bombed my first night in New York City, uh, which is fitting. 
<laughs> so, so that's interesting. I did my first open mic night in in New York City at the Laughing Buddha in Greenwich Village, Great. and uh, it was. I've, I've told this story on the show before, and, and I know you've heard it, but I'll, I'll tell it again because it's my podcast. Uh, a friend of mine who's a professional speaker and also a comic and improv guy professionally. Shout out to Drew. He, yeah, Andrew, Andrew Tarvin, Drew Tarvin. He invited me to come with him to an open mic night, and I honestly said because I was going to be in New York speaking, I had some free time. I'm like, let's hang out. He goes, oh, come to open mic night with me, and my response was oh my gosh I would love to watch you work on new material I've never been to an open mic night but I've been to dozens of comedy shows love comedy watching you work on your craft would be so awesome and he's like yeah that's not what I'm inviting you to do come to open mic night and get up on stage and my initial reaction was absolutely not there is no way I'm 51 years old there is at the time there is no way I am in New York City going to do an open mic night but I had shared with him years before that I had always wanted to do it and he said, I remember when I met you, you said you'd wanted to do it. Why not? And, you know, part of my message when I speak is you got to try new things. He goes, aren't you the guy who teaches try new things? And I'm like, shit. Uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, interestingly, I've now done, you know, if you count these virtual ones that are happening during the quarantine, I've done about 96 open mic nights. I haven't decided if I'm counting virtual ones yet or not. But my goal was to do 100 open mic nights after that. And I'm now basically there. And I'm not going to stop. But here's the interesting thing. I have learned a lot, not just because it's a different form of the spoken word and being up on stage, but I've learned more about humans, about life, about business, about grit, about being scrappy uh, from watching these other comics who are trying to make it their career. I'm, that's not my, my, my goal. Um, how do you think that stand-up correlates to other areas of life? Yeah, for sure. I think first off, I think there is uh, Tom. I think you would agree with me. There is no high like a stand up high. When you crush, it's just like yes, I'm the king of the world. Uh, but there is, uh, yeah, you don't no get that. Low. You don't get that speaking to to a, to a corporate audience. Even when you crush, you don't think, oh yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, there's less ego in that. But yeah, but whereas, um, uh, but there is also no low like a stand up low. I mean, I remember that night that I bombed it at O'Charlie's. I was like, I'm not even taking the subway home. I'm not even deserving of mass transit. I'm going to walk in the drizzle. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think there's there's a plenty of places where stand up, uh, I'd say mirrors that of entrepreneurship <clears throat> uh, just because uh, it's, it's your ideas. It's your ability to sell them. Uh, and you learn very quickly if people like them or not. And that reality hurts. Um, and your friends always like it a little bit. So you always have a little bit of hope, but then the general public ultimately tells you if you're going to be successful or not. And, uh, I, I that's, I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned from it is for sure. It's just that ability of like, okay, well they hate it. So what are you going to do? Are you going to stop or are you going to dust off and keep it pushing with the new idea? So one of the things I started doing as soon as the quarantine hit, and at the time we're recording this, it's been about three weeks. I'm not sure where it'll be when people get to listen. Hopefully it'll be over. Um, but uh, there was some discussion on the Austin, Texas sort of open mic night Facebook page about, oh, no, all mics are canceled because of coronavirus. And somebody was saying, maybe we could do something on Zoom 
And another young comic said, yeah, but the free Zoom has these limitations. And so I chimed in and said, I have the enterprise version. We could use mine. And (laughs) one of the young comics goes, of course he does. Meaning, you know, he's he's like an adult with a job and a mortgage. You know, of course he has the enterprise Zoom. So for the past several weeks, I've hosted virtual open mic night for, you know, it's been anywhere from seven to I think the most we had was 17 uh, comics doing like four minute, four minute sets. But the weirdest part of it is, is that afterwards, you know, at a real open mic night, a comic does his set and he is gone and here everybody hangs out. Like last night, it was like 40 minutes after we finished doing sets, everybody was just talking and I made a joke saying this has happened every all three, four weeks. I'm like, are people just this lonely? And (laughs) these young comics were like, yeah, I live alone. You know, haven't been outside in two days. And, uh, uh, but it's funny because I've been watching some of these people over the last two years in my local area. And it is funny, James, you said certain cities have good comedy scenes and some don't. And I found that when I travel, like some cities have like a city like I won't say where, but major metropolitan Midwest city uh, has like four open mic nights in the week. When you search where they are, Austin, Texas had 24. So it's like, you know, like five, four and five open mic nights a week. You could find at coffee shops and bars and comedy clubs. Um, But uh, yeah, these people who I've gotten to know and watched who have a desire to make it their career. The ones who are getting better, the ones who are ready to move to New York and Los Angeles and Chicago, those people, they're doing 10 open mic nights a week. I'm doing one, if that. And so you see that scrappiness where you were saying it correlates to entrepreneurship. It's the hard work. It's the figuring it out. It's the try new things. It's the throwing the spaghetti against the wall and paying attention to what sticks and then going with that and letting the other stuff go. There's so many things that, that I learned from that. So when I discovered that you had done that, uh, I, I, I wasn't surprised because you're pretty funny, but uh, I did feel well, a little you. more kindred spirit to you. Yeah, for sure, brother. And I think I think you also just hit the nail on the head on another thing where they where they mirror each other. And that's the loneliness. Like entrepreneurship is lonely. I mean, that's why co-working spaces exist, um, because it's a, cha- a chance to have community. I know. I, I don't know if you felt this way when you were starting your speaker business. Um, but for me, when I was starting mine, like I would kill for a water cooler talk with other speakers just to be like, are you are you struggling with this? Is this, is this annoying to you also? Or is this, are you finding this this way? Um, and, and uh, with standup, especially with the nature and the standup community, and maybe this was also in New York where it's pretty cutthroat uh, where, you know, there's not a lot of like, good job, man. Oh, that was really great. Like, Hey, let me help you work on that thing. Like this, some, some comedians will cling to each other, but others are, it's a, it's a very lonely, isolated affair up there. Yeah. Well, I found it took me a long time to get anyone to talk to me because human beings as just the animal, social animals that we are, we're drawn to people who are like us. So yeah. I walk in, first of all, I'm at the time I was 51. I'm now 53. Uh, I look like the dad on any television sitcom, right? I, I look like I stepped out of Accountants Today magazine. And so they'd look at me like, who brought their dad? Or, or, you know, is this guy a narc? Why is he here? Uh, so nobody talked to me for the longest time. And eventually, you know, as I got, you know, a, a little bit better at, at the comedy, they started to say, oh, that was good. Like once they see that you're not going away, you know, they're like, oh, you're there. But you're right. It, it is very lonely because people, first of all, so many people come and go into comedy. It's like I had a friend who went to Hollywood to become an actor and he had been doing acting classes and, and being in short films in Austin. And he had a bunch of friends in the acting community. So when he gets to L.A., he takes his first class. And afterwards, he turns to the guy next to me or next to him and says, let's go get a beer. And the guy's like, no. And he, he looks at him like, that's rude. 
And the guy said, look, you've lived in LA three weeks. And he goes, I don't invest my emotional capital in people who haven't lived here for over a year because the odds are you'll be gone in a year and then all my friends leave. He goes, I've been here seven years. I don't invest in people who aren't you know, here. And it's like, wow, that's pretty cutthroat. Uh, of course, my friend was gone in a year, so that guy was right. <laughs> yeah, that's real. The, the turnover is crazy. And also, I mean, the open mic that you and I went to also, and we saw what, at least two people that are like, yeah, I thought I'd get up here for the first time. It's so, it's so interesting also learning what people think other people would find funny. Yeah, because they weren't. Yeah. Yeah, they were not. They were not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I brought my brother to see me and he thought I was going to suck because he's my brother. And I happened to have just one of those nights where everything worked. Of course, I only used material that was tried and true with my brother in the audience. But afterwards, he was like, oh, my, he called my other brother. He's like, he was really good. And, you know, he was kind of blown away by by it. Uh, but part of it was is an open mic night can be hit and miss. You can have some really good comics who are trying new things and they, they don't they don't land. Or you can have a bunch of just you know, people who aren't that funny who are trying. And, and that night I was there, my brother's like, you were the funniest person of the night. And I'm like, yeah, the bar was really low. <laughs> you know, there's a difference between being an open mic comic and, and a working comic. And, and I'm an open mic comic. Hey, but at least you raised a bar, you that, know, that's right. But I, but I will tell you that there is a lot of correlations to this entrepreneurship thing. I mean, we could probably talk for an hour, you know, connecting those types of dots. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. You hit a lot of them, the scrappiness and all that kind of stuff for sure. So James, I've got a couple of more questions for you, but first I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like James Robolata. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things. Check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So James, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And one of the things I wanna to talk to you about is the cool thing you do with your live events. Can you talk to us a little bit about living imperfectly live? Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, so I uh, I realize that a lot of people are caught in their patterns uh, and and you don't recognize your patterns until somebody points them out to them or you actually sit down and, and, and get into it. Uh, and then it's a matter of realizing if those patterns service or not. But a lot of us are stuck. We're not living the life that we thought we would at this point. We're not uh, doing the things we thought we could do. And so I decided to put on this event to help people get unstuck. Um, and so that's what we do living it perfectly live. It's two days uh, and we have individuals come together, uh, work together um, and really kind of dig down deep into their stuff. And we talk about patterns. We talk about stories that you tell yourself. We talk about fears. Um, and then we come out of it on the other side with an action plan of like, okay, what are the things we need to do tomorrow, next week, and the week after that to help us start to climb out? What are the rungs of the ladder to help us get out of this hole that we're in? Um, and it's been really purposeful. It's a lot of fun. Uh, try to make people laugh, make myself cry. It's a good time. So I actually think that your message about uh, vulnerability, authenticity, living imperfectly, 
I think it's more important now as what we've dealt with as a society in the last several weeks and months. I think it's more important now than ever. I think that as we come out of this and eventually we will come fully out of this coronavirus uh, cycle. I keep worrying that, you know, I ask the question over and over on when I'm on a panel, uh, a video panel that people have been doing. I've been asked to be uh, interviewed on several, I guess, webinars and, and, and virtual conferences uh, or just in social media. I've been asking this question. And that is when we come out the other side, do you think we'll be a little less Kardashian focused and a little more human focused? And the response you know, from people who are a little more on the woo-woo side are like, yes, I think it's, you know, a transcendental change. And the response on the other side is yes for about six weeks and then we will be totally back to the way we were. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it depends how long this thing goes, right? Uh, I think the longer it goes, the more we'll set new patterns. Um, and I mean, even just, I'm sure you noticed this, I've, I've seen it on your on your social media, uh, where like we've had the capacity to do Zoom calls with our families forever, right? Like for a number of years. Well, not forever, yeah. but yeah, for a number of years. <laughs> Back in my day. <laughs> Back in 1963 <laughs> when I was using Zoom to talk to my grandmother. <laughs> uh, but I mean, we've had, I mean, Zoom's been around for a minute. Skype's been around for a minute, Google Hangouts. Uh, but yet all of a sudden, like I'm talking to my whole family on Zoom and they're like, well, look at this. They're like looking around like it's our new home. Like, well, look at this. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I think it depends how long it is. I mean, how how many patterns do we set up? Like, I mean, there's a lot of individuals that are feeling more connected now than they were actually in the past. And so, uh, will it change everything? It depends how long it is, but I think it will definitely change something. I think uh, that groups of friends will talk a little bit more than they used to after this. I think we'll check in on each other a little bit more, which is healthy. Uh, but yeah, those patterns are going to come back in. Our, our natural lives will naturally feel more separated from each other. And so some of that, uh, normalcy of previous life will also sneak back into yeah it is interesting the 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 whole idea i still talk to some people and they say what is zoom and i want to say where have you been for the last three weeks right i mean it's like yeah, right you know, <laughs> wow yeah. uh but <laughs> you know how'd you miss this but the first thing we did the first week is we had a zoom dinner with my daughter and her fiance who live in Chicago. And we spent 90 minutes and just sitting around the table talking. And uh, my wife, my future son-in-law and my youngest daughter said it was just like a real dinner because my daughter Jackie and I both over talked too much. Uh, so they were like, it was just like being live with everybody. Uh, but the, we, we had one computer for the three of us, one for the other two. And, you know, we just spent 90 minutes at dinner like you would in a restaurant or around your table at home. And then on the flip side, we did the same thing after I posted that on social media. One of my friends who I grew up with from kindergarten on, his daughter and my daughter, uh, my younger daughter, have become the best of friends over the years. And they've built that friendship via uh, uh, FaceTime, right? So they face, they met, they'd met when they were younger, but they really met and hung out when my dad died six years ago. And when we returned to Texas, they FaceTime had just come out. They started FaceTiming each other almost every day for six years. So they're both high school seniors and they are really super, super tight friends and so we've taken vacations with their family over the last few years and my daughter goes out for part of the summer and then the opposite year their daughter comes and joins us for a while uh, and so they said let's do a zoom dinner with the two families and we did again it was like 90 minutes long we laughed and Darren reached out to me and said uh, why haven't we been doing this for like the last three years <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely it's crazy um, I think there's a lot of relationships that are going to be way stronger there's in some ways in, in some ways not always I envy people who are dating right now uh, because there's some things that are not getting in the way and it's just like 
personality to personality, a little bit of faith, you know, and and they're actually getting to know each other. There could be some really beautiful, strong relationships that are built from this. I told so my daughter, awesome. her and her fiance had to reschedule their wedding and uh, they've now pushed it out to October, knock wood, that October will be okay. And uh, they had planned a ski slope wedding. It was their dream wedding. They both loved to ski. He had taught her uh they spent 14 months planning the wedding and then with less than two months, it got postponed. And now they're planning a brand new wedding on the side of a cliff, I think, in San Diego. And, you know, they're they're going forward with it. But at the same time, they're in 700 square feet in an apartment. They're in a high rise. At least they have a nice view. But uh, he's working 10 hours a day. His job has a lot to do and they've been able to take the team virtual but it's 10 hour days so she has to be quiet because her job has gone away so she's like literally having to be like a mouse and that's not like her thing but she doesn't want to disturb him she has to give him the room to do what he needs to get done because it's their support and I told them I said if you can end up planning two weddings in a year and live in 700 square feet and not be able to go out and when you do they go out together for walks I said you're going to have the greatest marriage ever if you can survive this. Yeah, that's love right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I completely agree. I mean, you can't help but learn how each other communicates. Um, yeah, and it's been, it's an interesting way. It's an interesting thing for that. So do you think when uh, whenever you're able to have the next Living in Perfectly Live, do you think that the message will have changed because of what we've been through? Uh, yes and no. I, th- I think yes and no. I think at, at its core, uh, we as humans are still naturally uh, natural pattern generators, right? Like if I were to ask you tomorrow to brush your teeth with your other hand, you'd have to think about it. And you're like, where is you like poke yourself in the eye or something? Uh, and uh, your, your brain has developed a pattern where it knows exactly what to do. So you can be in the, in the haze of sleepiness and do what you got to do. Um, but uh, so I think I where are the places where we can break some of those patterns in our lives though, of the stories that we tell ourselves, um, the lies that we tell ourselves. And, and, uh, I think some of that'll still be true. Um, I hope that, uh, people who come to the, to the living imperfectly that have relationship issues, uh, maybe they will be in a slightly different place and that conversation could be a little different. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think there definitely will be some things that are, that are similar and some things that will have to change. So if somebody's interested in finding out more about your live events, how do they find that? Uh, JamesTRobo.com. JamesTRobo.com backslash events. Um, or, uh, yeah, <clears throat> that's, that's probably the best way to do it. Um, and then, yeah, and I'm actually, I'll probably do one. Again, we don't know when this is coming out, but I'll probably also do a couple virtually as well just to see what that lo- that's like because why not? Nice. Uh, yeah. I'll come. Yay. Hey, so James, I love to ask people who come on the show who they admire, because we could talk about you and all the great things you do all day long. But I think good entrepreneurs, great entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. So when you look out at the entrepreneurosphere, sort of this world of people who flex those entrepreneurial muscles, who do you say, wow, she or he, they do cool things. Yeah, absolutely. When I look for mentors, uh, I look, instead of looking out to the big, huge icons of our world, I think in the speakers, we know as speakers, we know these people. Um, but for me, I look three years out. Who are the people that are three years ahead of me that are leaving me breadcrumbs that haven't molded and disappeared? Um, and uh, so for me, there's a buddy of mine. His name is Tom Krigelstein. Uh, I like saying him on this podcast also because you'll never be able to spell his name and find him. But uh, his name is Tom Krigelstein, and he is also a speaker. Uh, who's been doing some incredible things around the culture of connection. Uh, and, and the way that he 
the way that he talks to people on stage is incredible, but the business on the back end is even more impressive. He gets, uh, I mean, something like 40% of his clients are repeat every year. And so that's someone who's doing the right thing. And so I've been enjoying learning his systems. What are the things that you're doing that are working? How are you staying in touch with people? Uh, and so uh, he's, he's someone who I definitely re- would recommend checking out. He also leads a lot of forums and helps a lot of people. Um, so his name is Tom Krigelstein. His company is swiftkick.com. Would that be the Tom Krigelstein with a K or with a C? Because I confuse the two of them all the time. Yeah, with a K, with a K. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if there were two Tom Kriegelsteins who were both who were both speakers and they just were spelled like with a one letter different? <laughs> Kriegelstein and Kriegelstein. Yeah, right. Sounds like a new law firm. <laughs> Kriegelstein and Kriegelstein. That, they, now I want to write a sitcom, and that'll be that'll be the the, the thing. How did you guys become partners? How could we not? <laughs> So, James, the last question I ask everybody is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think if we're fortunate and, and we're fortunate to get what you and I do, I think we have to find our way to serve humanity. So so what, what do you do? So I am one of the reasons why I got into speaking to corporate uh, was a little Robin Hoodie <laughs> uh, where uh, the idea of getting to speak to corporations that have the money enabled me to speak to more colleges that don't have the money. So, uh, you know, underfunded things like historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs. I'm, a, I'm on a goal to speak at every single HBCU in the country, uh, ideally for free. Um, and I also speak to a lot of community colleges, do a lot of stuff with what's called TRIO programs, uh, which a lot of first generation college students or or lower income college students. And so getting to speak to those people for free is something that I work that I do every year happily. Uh, And uh, so that's that's something that I do for sure. God, that's awesome. I think that's a great that's a great way to do it. I've never thought of it as Robin Hoodie, but I like that. That's a new verb. (laughs) I, I think when this crisis is over, everybody needs to find their way to be a little more Robin Hoodie. Mm, yes, yes, yes. These yeah. are all technical terms. I was just going to say, buy that URL right now before someone yeah. else. <laughs> hey, James, thank you so much for coming on the, on the show. Once again, if somebody's like, I got to know more about James, how do they find you? Yeah, it's jamestrobo.com and also James T. Robo on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all those kind of things. And uh, it's at James. My middle name is Taylor. Uh, so James T. Robo, R-O-B-O. All right. I can't, let, I can't let this one go. Were your parents big fans of The Musician? Uh, so they were, but also my grandfather's name is James Taylor. He's also my hero. Uh, but yeah, he was. A, a, a so he probably guy. wasn't named after the you got a friend guy. No, I think he uh, I think he superseded him. Yeah, I would think. Yeah, just doing well. It could be the same age. The James James Taylor would be grandfatherly age for someone like us. I think <laughs> that is fair. That so, is fair. I was just when you said your middle name was Taylor, I thought he's James Taylor. I wonder if his parents just wanted to make sure that he had a friend. My, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I didn't, but uh, they did. Uh, therefore, swing seat, uh, rockabye, sweet baby James to me when I was uh, crying. Very nice. <laughs> very nice. We'll leave. We'll leave you with rockabye, sweet baby James. Hey, thanks again for being on the show, and thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, why would I even do this podcast? Uh, the idea is to leave behind ideas, thoughts, nuggets, and different things to make you think, because success does leave clues. We're going to be back in a couple of days with somebody just as cool as James. And I know you're thinking, Tom, how is that possible? But we always figure out a way. But in the meantime, go out there, flex your entrepreneurial muscles. Make sure while you're doing it that your ladder is against the right wall. As you climb that corporate ladder, you don't want to get to the top and find out, oops, I did the wrong thing. Go out there and try some new things. And while you're at it, have a great day. 
Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.